Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I was um, moved during worship. I don't know how your experience with Jesus is, but for me, I... I probably emphasize more the intimate relationship with Jesus as friend and brother and Savior, but there's a, I, I get the idea of intimacy. I get Jesus loves me. But this morning when we were singing that Worthy is the Lamb song, I was really caught up with the fact that Jesus, my intimate brother, is also the majestic King of kings, Lord of lords, without beginning, without end, majestic, glorious, and the most amazing thing, no religion has this, the King of kings, the highly exalted one, out of love for me, did not think his place in heaven was something to be grasped, as Paul puts it in Philippians. But he emptied himself, becoming a servant, becoming a man, even to die on a cross. No king would do that. No king humbles himself like that, except for the king of kings. Lord, you are worthy. Jesus, we exalt you. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for this day. We celebrate both your death and your resurrection, conquering hell, conquering Satan, conquering the grave, conquering sickness, conquering sin. You are worthy, Lord. He is risen. He is risen. Lisa, he is risen. (laughs) Wow. I want to say just quickly thank you to all of the people that do such a great job of working and laboring in love to make Sundays like this for us. Look at all these flowers and the palm trees, the palm fronds from Palm Sunday. I might forget, so I want to say it right now. These these vases of flowers, vases, vases, vase sounds more French. They're to take. So at the end, not right now, but at the end of the service, please come and grab one. Um, if you see an extra one and your mom's not here, take one and give it to your mom, you know, or your wife, or, or just, I, I think probably the ladies are going to want them more than the guys, but I don't want to be sexist, so you guys, you can take them too, <laughs> if you like flowers. <laughs> I'd give mine to my wife. By the way, my name is Ron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be sharing from the Bible with you today. If, if you didn't get one of these little, these little gadgets, this is a modern take on the communion table. They're in here. There's a little, on, oh, on the bottom, there's a little teeny, teeny, teeny loaf of bread. And in the cup, is this is grape juice. I was at a, a gathering recently where I... I did the communion in one of these, and I thought, man, this is kind of old. The, the grape juice is kind of fermented, and I found that they, ac- they were serving wine accidentally. <laughs> but this one, in case you're worried, this one is not wine. You're, you're safe if you are trying to avoid alcohol. It was funny. Bobby, it was funny. The, the pastor's wife came up to me on Friday, Good Friday. She was like, oops, we made a big mistake. We accidentally ordered the wine. So I don't, we didn't order the wine here. Oh, it's good to be with you this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. Um, what a great day. What a great day. Thank you. So, so thank you, especially to Susan Frankie, for her with the flowers. I know my wife Kim was here. Oh, and I don't, I don't know all the other people. I think it was mostly ladies just helping. I think Steve helped climb up to put flowers on the cross, which is kind of different. But just think, the, the crucifixion's gone, the resurrection has come, and there's new life. So why not put some flowers on the cross, because it's new life. So that's pretty. Um, and the band, thank you guys for your labor of love. Putting together all of that music to help us worship.
just, I'm so thankful for our worship band. They're, they work so hard, and everyone else. I, uh, Steve, part of the band back there at the sound booth. Steve, thank you for making this sound booth. We love you, Steve. And, oh, and Carrie and Matt working on the lyrics and the video for you guys that are far off. I was just this morning, I was chatting with my friend Oswald, who lives. Oh, he goes to the University of Mulungushi, Mungushu, Mungushi in Zambia, and he was going to join us. So right now it's about 6.30 in the evening there, but there's probably some of our Zambian friends watching right now. So hi, Zambia. We're glad you're here. I don't know if any of our Pakistani friends are here, but they often join us. So it's, it's fun to be together around the world, huh? So good. Well, today, you can see there's a title up there. I'm going to be attempting to talk about what are kind of bookends for this weekend. The cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the empty tomb, referring to the resurrection on Sunday morning. You know, if, if you didn't know, it's possible you're in here, you don't know. The reason we are here is because a man named Jesus, a Jewish rabbi in the first century, claimed to be the promised Messiah, the son of God, who would take away the sins of the world using the title of the Lamb of God, like a sacrificial lamb. And on Friday, we remember the day that he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, a Roman crucifix, a cross of execution. And he said that when he would do that, he would bear on himself the sins of all of the world. And he said, you'll know it's true. Because on the third day after I am dead, the grave will not hold me, but I will rise from the dead, and you will know then that I am the Son of God who has laid down his life in love for the whole world. And it changed everything. And um, I want to talk about how the cross and the resurrection impact us today. Lord... We come to you in prayer asking for you to be oh, so present in the reading of your word and the opening of the scriptures that you've given us. I pray that you put power on this message. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask that you will speak specifically to the needs and hearts of every person that hears this talk. Lord, that there will be a unique message from you to each transformed by the Word of God. We pray if anyone is here that has not yet come into the kingdom of God, has not come into the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that they will today. Bless this time in the Word, we pray. Amen. I, I do want to say one announcement. This coming Saturday, April 15th, at 10 a.m., we will be meeting at the Oceanside parking structure by the Trans Transit Center. You know where that is. I think that's the corner of Cleveland and Seagays. We'll start there, and we're going to do a Jesus walk. And we don't yet know what that's going to look like, but we think it's going to look good. We, some of us will have guitars. There'll be some singing and worshiping to Jesus. But we will be walking around the Strand area, and we will absolutely be having some holy hellos. So we're going to say hello to a lot of people, but they're going to turn into holy moments. We will pray for people. I ask them if they'll let us, if they want, you know, we won't like just attack them. It won't be attack prayer. It will be, excuse me, we'd like to bless you. So we'll be praying for people, sharing the good news of Jesus. Usually when the people of Jesus go into the community with the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, good things happen. It's like a chemical explosion. You know, you put the right pieces together and it kabooms. That's how bombs work, and there's going to be a Holy Ghost bomb, I think. So, when are we meeting? What time? Where are we meeting? Who is meeting? All of us. Yes, okay. If you've never done it before, come. It's a lot of fun. That's right. Oh, especially if you're a chicken, there's a line called the chicken line, and you need to, you need to cross over the chicken line, and that will turn you into an eagle. So I, I want to I start out with um, kind of a, a, an image, a, a, 
a thought to get us thinking. This is a $20 bill. Does anyone need this $20 bill today? Do you? You really need it, Denise? So, Denise, would you rather have the front side or the back side? You just want the back. Denise, it doesn't work that way. You can't get the back without the front. There are two sides of one twenty. If you want it, you got to have the whole thing. So, which one is more important? This this guy in the front is he more important or the the back? Well, it's a nonsense question. It's a stupid question. Ever have someone try to trap you with a stupid question? It, if God can do anything, can he make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? It's a, it's a nonsense question. And this is a nonsense question because, as you know intuitively, this is one piece. So here you go. You can have the whole thing. Oh, a hug? Well, okay. Bless you. I didn't ask my wife if I could do that, but we're family's down 20, so... God will multiply it. What's more important, the cross on Friday, the crucifixion, or the resurrection? It's a nonsense question. They are two sides of one salvation. So that's that kind of the first thought I'm getting us thinking about. You can't have one without the other. The, they each have truths and portions that work together for our salvation. The, um, the cross is for killing my old life. The resurrection is for being born again into a new life. A new, where I'm resurrected, the language of being born from above or being born from the Spirit. The cross is substitutionary sacrifice. Perfect sacrifice. But if it's perfect sacrifice, then death could not hold the sacrifice. Because it's a perfect sacrifice, Therefore, it has to be that death will not hold Jesus. The grave cannot hold him because he's the Son of God and he rises from the dead on the resurrection. If we don't have the resurrection, then the cross was insufficient. You understand that? Paul wrote that in, uh, you can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he said, Look, sounds like some of you are getting this idea that we shouldn't be that there's no resurrection. It was kind of a Greek idea that physical physical things are bad and spiritual things are good, so a physical resurrection couldn't have been. And he said, "Come on, you guys. If there is no such thing as resurrection, then Jesus didn't resurrect, and if Jesus didn't resurrect, then you are lost in our, your sins still to this day. And we are to be pitied among all people because we have a fake belief system." You need, I need, salvation. I need both the cross and the resurrection. That's good to know, I think. The cross brings an end to the old covenant of laws, instructions, Torah, written on stone, tablets. The resurrection brings the inauguration of the new covenant, a new covenant written on our hearts, where the Spirit of God lives in people, writes His instructions for life on our hearts, moves us to follow His ways, the New Covenant. Let me just read about that, if you don't know this language. This is, I'm reading from the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, but the author here is quoting from the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. And it says this, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with, not the covenant, but with the people, and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, 
When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them from the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. If you've experienced the cross and the empty tomb, God has written his laws on your heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor and a man his brother saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The old covenant had no power to change people from the inside out. The new covenant has the power to destroy the grip and power of sin and change us from the inside out so that we are new creations raised to new life in Jesus. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is aging and obsolete will soon disappear. So the cross is the end of the old covenant. The resurrection is the beginning of the new covenant. There, they're like bookends. They're better than bookends. They're like both sides of your 20. You need both sides. He, he, we're going we're gonna to take communion. And there's a little bread in here. We're not doing it right now. I'm just showing you something. And the, the juice. And I think in a sense the, the bread relates to the cross of salvation. Because Jesus said, this is my body broken for you on the cross. The blood Although he did bleed on the cross, he said, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If um, both are present, both are needed, you know, I'm dialing up in our, our understanding, we're, we're focusing a little bit on what salvation means, and it's, I think, going to get more focused and more clear as we read. But here's, here's a scripture where, by the Holy Spirit, Paul combines both of these ideas into one for us. Romans chapter 6, the letter to the church at Rome, he says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. There's the cross side. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, there's the resurrection from the glory of the Father, we too may lead a new life. I think that some people who are followers of Jesus, some Christians, tend to fall on one side of this or the other, and we need both, and I want to encourage us to grab onto both of these principles. Some Christians I know seem to focus exclusively on the cross. They're very conscious of their sins. They every day say, I need to preach the gospel of the cross to myself every day. And they are constantly thinking, I need to go to the cross, I need to go to the cross, I need to go to the cross, and that's true. But some of those folks never seem to get to the other side of the cross and the resurrection and never realize, I'm a new creation. Jesus appeared once at the end of the ages, Hebrews says, to put away sin completely. I'm no longer ruled over by sin. I'm a new creation. I'm empowered by the Spirit to do the things that Jesus did, to live the life that Jesus did. So they never get on that side. There are some Christians who seem to only know the resurrection side of salvation and never go to the cross. And they are all about the power of the Spirit to heal the sick and cast out demons. Hallelujah, you know, and speaking in tongues. You know, but they forget to go to the cross and kill the old man. Do you know, you know that one? I'm, I'm just suggesting, as I've been thinking and praying for what we talk about today, that we would do well to embrace the fullness of salvation. This is how it impacts us. Here's a passage. Are you okay with me reading for us a lot of scripture today? There's power in the word of God, I believe. Hearing it washes over me. Colossians chapter 1, of chapter 3, verse 1. This is a long passage, so hang on. This could take a 
full 30 seconds to read? Can you, got your, <laughs> got your attention going? Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you've seen the old and the new and the past and the future and the present all together here, the already and the not yet. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death. Here's the cross side. The cross, I said, is to kill the old Ron. He needs to die. Salvation for me, involves an old person dying and a new person being born. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Or just a direct translation, put to death what belongs to the flesh, that which is attached to this present evil age. Sexual immorality, put it to death. Impurity, put it to death. Lust, evil desires, and greed. Put them to death. They're idolatry. Take them to the cross. If those things are in your life, go to the cross and see them nailed with Jesus to the cross where they are dead. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things. Anger, rage, malice, slander. He's talking to Christian people. Can you imagine Christian people? I mean, do you know any Christian people that have any of these things in their life? I've never. <laughs> Maybe I should get out more? Is that what you said? <laughs> oh, I think I'm stepping on some toes. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off, since you've taken off your old self. With its practices. Oh, now we get into resurrection. And have put on the new self. Now, see, you don't want to just stop there. You don't want to stop the verse at the comma. You want to keep reading. Since you put on your new self, which is being renewed. Remember I said salvation is an event. You were saved. And salvation is a process. You're being saved for a long time. And it's a future event. We will be fully saved at the return of Jesus, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. Here there's no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised, no barbarian. We're all one in Christ, all on level ground. Christ is all and in all. And now here's the new life. But therefore, as God's chosen people, did you know God chose you? Holy. He chose you to be set apart for him. Holy. Dearly loved, you are dearly loved by God. Because you are dearly loved, chosen, and holy, clothe yourselves with the new life, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive even as Jesus the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Oh, we need that word in our world today. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You were called as one body. I could go off and preach about Republicans and Democrats living in peace. I won't go there right now, but you know where my thoughts just went. Oh. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude, with gratitude in your hearts. This is the life of the resurrection. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Putting off the old man on the cross, being raised to new life. Before you and I come to salvation, I hear piano music. That was lovely. Before you and I come to salvation, we are gripped by sin. We are held in its grip. And we are powerless 
to break free. Have you ever tried to break free from sin without Jesus? How'd that work out for you? You can't do it. We are gripped by it. When we wake up, we are in shame from the day before. Do you remember that? When you wake up before salvation, it's not a question of will I sin today? It's what sin will I commit? How will I commit it? With whom will I commit it? Against whom will I commit it? There's no question. We are gripped by sin, by its power. It stains everything in our lives. It stains all our relationships. It ruins everything. It brings death everywhere. We have its penalty hanging over our head. We know that God is against sin and judgment is coming. There's fear. It ruins everything. Satan wants to use sin to kill us. Jesus wants to kill sin to save us. Do you hear that? Satan wants to use sin to kill you. Jesus wants to kill sin to save you. Satan's wrath is against sinners. God's wrath is against sin. God loves us. How are you doing with all this Bible reading? Oh, what a good class. What a good congregation. Here's some more. Paul talking about what I just said, the grip of sin. At one time, Titus chapter 3, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all... Well, I sounded like a Southern Baptist preacher. Enslaved. (laughs) I don't know what came over me. (laughs) Well, hallelujah! (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I grew up in a church where the pastor always got revved up and was shouting at some point in his sermons. But I'm not that guy. Deceived. Enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Sometimes to get to the good news, you've got to take a look at the bad news. We lived. You've been in the Lord a long time, you might have forgotten. We lived in malice, envy, being hated, and hating one another. Jesus came to rescue us from this, because sin destroys. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, thank you, Jesus, for bringing your kindness and your love. He saved us. We need to be saved from sin. Do you understand that? I don't know. People don't preach a lot about sin these days, but we need to be saved from sin because it's killing us. Our legislators try to write laws to protect us from each other, but it never works because it doesn't deal with the root cause, which is sin. It will never be dealt with till Jesus is ruling and we are delivered from our sin. We do well to help people come in love to their Savior who will deliver them from their sin and it will change society. When it's really working, you don't even need laws because people are living right. Okay. But when the kindness of love and love of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So many get lost at that point. They think, oh, if I would just work harder, if I would just be better, if I would just sin less and be gooder more. (laughs) Have you tried to be gooder? You need a savior. You can't get gooder enough. It's not my work. It's his mercy. He saved me through the washing of, here's the resurrection, rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You guys, this morning, I woke up free from the grip of sin. This morning, I woke up without shame for the sins that I've committed in the past. Why? 
because I have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is good to be free from the grip of sin. It no longer has its grip on me. Listen to these words. So you probably know them from the hymn, It is well with my soul, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We have a salvation that includes the cross, and it includes the resurrection. It includes death to the old way. It includes new birth into life in the new way. And it has everything to do with my experience in life today. I, I want to spend just a few minutes looking at this, to our culture, very strange idea of the blood. We are so far removed from, we, we don't even, you know where chicken comes from, right? It's in the frozen section. <laughs> Do you know where steak comes from? The Stater Brothers. There's actually an animal that had blood in it. And we never see it. So it's so foreign to us to hear the words, the blood of Jesus. But the Bible is filled with statements like this. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think for most modern people, when they first hear this kind of language, it is either very confusing or even very offensive. You know, it, the question would be, is God like those pagan deities that were bloodthirsty and you better give them a blood sacrifice to buy them off because they want a blood sacrifice in order to appease their anger or they need a blood sacrifice to get their favor for them to give you good stuff? Is that the Christian God? Some people, I think, import that thinking into Christianity, but it's actually very different. And I, I want to try to to um, think through that with you a little bit, which might be helpful. I, I looked for places in the New Testament where the blood of Jesus is mentioned in these various ways. I found a website that, convenient for me, put them all together. And they showed me 15 different places in the New Testament that talk about the power of the blood. And they talked, I think it was about 12 different things. I can't read them all to you because of time. It'd be an interesting study. By the way, if you're interested, all you have to do is email me, and I'll email you right back, and I'll show you that list. For you Bible students that want to know where's all those blood passages, send an email to, can you remember the word info? Info at GraceVCF, Vineyard Christian Fellowship, GraceVCF.org. Okay, so the blood has power, the Bible says, to redeem us. It has power to reconcile us to God, to pay our ransom. The blood has power to wash away sin. The blood has power to forgive us. The blood has power to free us. The blood of Jesus is the power to justify us. The blood of Jesus cleanses our guilty conscience. The blood of Jesus sanctifies us. The blood of Jesus opens the way to the presence of God. The blood of Jesus gives us peace. And the blood of Jesus overcomes the enemy. That's all written in greater length than the New Testament. The blood is both literal, Jesus literally bled on the cross, but it's also a metaphor for the life. When Jesus shed his blood for my sins, that is to say, Jesus gave up his life for my sins. So it's, it's literal, but it's also a metaphor for life. And to say that Jesus shed his blood for me, the word for means in place of. It's substitutionary. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. And I want to give credit to a preacher named Tim Keller who pastored, he's, he's retired from his pastorate in Manhattan, but he pastored for years at church in Manhattan, and I was listening to him trying to get some insight on this. And he used this phrase, all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. He wanted us to understand, if we think about it, We'll get it in a moment. All life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Think in World War II, Adolf Hitler is marching with his Nazi armies over Europe. 
Japan comes and their Air Force bombs Pearl Harbor. Very quickly, millions of Americans volunteer to go to war. They volunteer out of love for their families that they want to protect. They volunteer out of love for the idea of freedom. They volunteer out of love for their country. Out of love, they sacrifice quite literally their lives. Many shed their blood to save the country. And we understand that. It was a substitute. Young men went because their children couldn't go, but they wanted to protect their children, and out of love, they gave their life as a substitutionary sacrifice to pay for that need. If I am going to forgive you for hurting me out of love, I don't just forgive you because I'm kind. I actually absorb into me the cost of your injury. If you injure me, my first response is, I'm going to pay you back because you owe me. Is that right? But if I forgive you in a very real way, I pay the price for your injury and you don't. And I'm a substitutionary sacrifice in forgiveness. We understand this concept. Listen, if you loan me $1,000 because I'm in need, and then I foolishly waste my time and my money and I can't pay you back, and you eventually in love say, I will forgive you, Ron. You don't have to pay me the $1,000. It doesn't get unpaid. You paid for it. You were a substitute, and you took that debt and absorbed it into yourself. You understand, we understand that. It makes perfect sense then that if God is going to forgive the sins that have defiled and brought death and destruction to this planet, think of the cost of sin. Think of the cost to a life of a child that's been abused. Think of the cost to you if you've ever been robbed and the vulnerability and the awful feeling of someone breaking into your house and going into your privacy and stealing your goods. If anyone's ever lied and destroyed your reputation through slant, think of the cost. If God is going to deal with the cost of all of the sin of the world, it, it's foolish. Or it, it, I want to be nice, but it displays a level of ignorance for someone to say, well, if God is so great, why does he have to have his son die for us? Why can't he just forgive us? Because that's not how forgiveness ever works. Forgiveness never works that way. Somebody always pays. Real love that is effective is always substitutionary love. And the remarkable thing about God is that He, the King of kings, loves you and me so much that He sees that we're caught, destroyed, gripped, embraced, uh, enslaved, ruined by sin. And he says, I love you so much that I will gladly absorb the penalty, the cost, everything involved in your sin into myself. So that's why we can read, he himself bore our sins on the cross. I love this. It's not going to be on the screen, but this is a poem that's in the Philippians book. He, Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. How are you doing? Okay. Because I want to take one more step at this. But I don't want to lose you if I'm losing you. Let me look at your eyes. You're with me still. Okay. Okay. What about this cleansing nature of blood? Listen to this text from Hebrews 9. When Moses, speaking of the, um, the Old Covenant, the tabernacle of Moses and all the laws, when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to the people, he took the blood of, of calves together with water, 
scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people, he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. Remember, Jesus said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle, everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. What is going on here? I mean, for a modern person, that's kind of weird. Kind of confusing. There's a truth, an eternal truth, that was revealed to the old covenant people. In Leviticus, we read the words, for the life, this is God speaking, the life of a creature is in the blood. And watch this sentence. This is an amazing, mysterious truth. And I have given the blood to you to make atonement for yourselves at the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And of course, year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, it was never able to fully atone. They had to keep doing it over and over until one sacrifice came, the perfect sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Notice, after Jesus on the cross, there's no more sacrifice. No one's sacrificing animals. Maybe some are somewhere, but the followers of the one true God, there's no sacrifice because one sacrifice has finished it all. It is done. It is finished. No more needed. Atonement has been paid. So here's a thought. The cleansing blood. If sin, does, if sin has stained us with death, and there's stains everywhere you look of death, and it stained our relationships with death, what kind of cleanser is needed to clean the stain of death? Life. Just like the way you deal with the stain of, I'm using a sort of symbolism, the stain of darkness is light. The way you deal with the stain of death is life. And God has set an eternal principle in creation. I have given the life of a creature in the blood, and the blood has been given for atonement. So the way to cleanse from death is to bring the life and the life of God into the situation with the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. Does that maybe make a little sense to you? I need to be saved from my sin. And just kind of closing thoughts here. How, how, how am I thinking beyond what I've just told you that... The cross and the resurrection impact my life today. Well, certainly the salvation ideas that we've just been talked about are true, but here's, one, here's two more. One, the cross of Jesus tells me that I am priceless to God. I have inestimable worth to God because he would spend everything to save me. You have inestimable worth. The other thing it shows me is that God loves me completely, fully, dearly, while I'm still in sin. God loves me. I am loved. I am adored. I am valued. I am precious to the creator of the world. Listen, if you know that, you won't have a lot of trouble knowing your identity. You will know who you are. You will know that you have a reason, a purpose. You're not an accident from some cosmic collision where there was an explosion and then accidentally this chemical mutated. And mutation usually causes problems, but this one turned into life. And then there was another mutation and suddenly an eye popped out. And so that organism reproduced. And we know that mutations always go bad, but in this case, the laws of thermodynamics, where everything goes into further moments of disarray, the second law of entropy, you know that one? Well, we break that law for this, because by accident, we went from goo to you by way of the zoo, and now you are able to think and contemplate all this stuff and look at all the beauty around us and know that it's meaningless chemical interactions. That's Ridiculous! 
takes a lot of faith to believe that. You were created by a loving God who would give everything to rescue you from the death of sin because you have value, you have worth, and you are loved. And listen, now I did that Southern Baptist thing, huh? <laughs> Let me put on the vineyard low hype. <laughs> Need the Hawaiian shirt again. <laughs> because you have value and because you are loved, you are empowered to value other people and love them. And when people live like that, they bring healing to our world. When more and more people experience the glory of God's salvation, the wonder of who Jesus is, they're filled with love by receiving love, and they respond with love because there's nothing else you can do when you are filled with love. Then they love with humility and grace the world around us, and it brings healing. That's how God's at work in our world. So, yeah, the cross and the empty tomb have everything to do with how we live. Let's take communion together. If you pull open the bottom of this, you'll find the bread. Now, listen, this is a symbol, but it's got power, but not if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. If you are hearing me, if you are even believing my words, listen, agreeing with what I'm saying and saying, yeah, that's probably true, is powerless. But putting your faith in the God that I'm speaking of is powerful to save you to kill off the old life and to cause you to have a new birth into a new life. If you're hearing me and you have not yet believed in Jesus, I'm not saying you believe that it's true. I'm saying that you put your faith in him so much that you say, I think you're the best deal there is on the planet. I'd sell anything to have you and your salvation and your life in me. I trust you, Jesus. I want you to be the boss of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the one who's driving my car. I want you in charge of my family. I put you in charge. If you want to do that, you'll be saved. Here's how you do it right now. Look to Jesus. Think about the cross. Think about the resurrection. Talk to him and say something like this. Jesus... I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died, gave up your lifeblood for my salvation. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And I now trust you with my life. Please come into my life. Take away my sins. And make me new. Please empower me to follow you all my life. I'm choosing to follow you. Take my life. Amen. Listen, if you have that kind of interaction with God, I tell you, your sins have not only been forgiven, their stain has been cleansed. And their power has been broken. And God is in you and changing you from this day forward. And you'll never be the same following the rest of your days. Now let's celebrate with communion. Here's the bread. I'm reading from Paul's writings. He said, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was bread, betrayed, I'm sorry, the night he was betrayed, he took bread. It was real bread. It wasn't this little fake thing. But he took unleavened bread, and he broke it, and he passed it around. And he said to his disciples, this is my body. It's Thursday night. He knows that the next day his body is going to be nailed to a cross and broken. This is my body. which is broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me every time you eat it. Let's eat this together, remembering the cross of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for giving your body to be broken, for taking into your body all of the sin and pain and shame of this world, for absorbing it into yourself, for being the sacrifice for my sins, for paying the penalty of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. I eat in remembrance of your broken body. Thank you for the bread that also speaks of the healing you brought for us in taking stripes upon your back. We praise you. And then if you're able to open the top here, I did it this time. Sometimes I have trouble. He took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant, the one written by the Spirit, not on tablets of stone, but on hearts. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the blood that cleanses us. Thank you for the blood that forgives us. Thank you for the life that you shed. And thank you for rising from the dead bringing to birth a new covenant in you. Thank you for your outpoured spirit. Thank you for valuing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us from sin. Thank you for saving us into and for new life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. We praise you today. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.